Welcome to the podcast where we talk to guests about five moments in their lives they'll never forget. This is Backstory with Steve Legg. It's fabulous to have you with me today on the new show, where I bring together an incredible array of stars of stage and screen, stand-up comedians and magicians, writers and artists, leaders and entrepreneurs, to chat about the five significant times in their lives they'll never forget. It's great to have you here. And my guest on today's show is the very wonderful Lou Fellingham. Lou's a singer, songwriter and worship leader and someone who's been an ever-present figure in the music industry for the last 20 years. With her husband Nathan, Lou leads worship every week, streaming on YouTube and Facebook. These strange days, she also hosts a coffee morning online event with worship, chat and guest interviews. I know you're going to love her as much as I do. Here she is. Hey, Lou. Hey. I'm glad to hear you got the crowd going wild. Man, we're going crazy in my office spare room. <laughs> How appropriate. Isn't it? So we watch you on your coffee mornings, uh, first thing in the yeah. morning. My friend Fiona yeah. is your biggest fan. Oh, that's kind. Fiona that's very kind. We all love Lou Fellingham. Um, but, I, I feel that I'm doing well because I've got a bit of a kind of captive audience right now. No one can go anywhere, so <laughs> they've got to do something on a Saturday morning. But also singing, singing really early is, is a struggle for a lot of people, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard work for all of us. I have to set my alarm pretty early now to make sure that my voice is relatively warmed up before I um, before I sing my heart out. And, you know, it, I have my good moments and my bad moments. Well, it sounds great to me. Are you, are you doing it in your bottom half in pajamas? Yeah, well, sometimes I think that's the Zoom call. Um, <laughs> and nowadays, the the angle of the camera, you just have to make sure that enough of enough of what people see is is looks like it's it's decent. You know, I was trying to get ready yesterday for something, and I was like, "Can you see the big rips in my jeans?" That's not appropriate <laughs> for what we're doing, but I got away with it, so it was all right. It is crazy. Yeah. If you'd have told us a year ago, I'd be doing magic shows in my bedroom wearing slippers and uh, boxer shorts. You wouldn't believe it, would you? No, it is bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Um, yeah, it, things have definitely changed. <laughs> they certainly have. So, Lou, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, it's, it's a podcast of memories. So let's kick yeah. off about you coming to faith. Yeah. So I was thinking about memories. I'm basically somebody who likes chat quite a lot as you can imagine (laughs) and uh, I have a lot of I have a lot of stories um, of my life and memories um, but I thought today just taking us on a bit of a journey through the process of where we are now was quite a nice way to do it so one of my earliest memories um, was becoming a Christian and this was obviously a majorly significant part of my life Um, I was five and my mum and dad had um, become Christians um, first my mum became a Christian and my dad became a Christian we lived out in Australia and um, and I remember sitting on the bed and I'd been having nightmares and was struggling to sleep and so my mum had just started picking up and reading the Bible just bits of um, the New Testament some of the stories and the parables and it got to bit about Jesus dying on a cross and I was like well why would he do that and, uh, and mum just said you know those things those things that you do wrongly of course 
I I did nothing wrong when I was five, of, of course. course. Never told a lie. Or She was like, stealing a biscuit and a biscuit tin? <laughs> oh, I might have done that, Mum. You know, those things that you do wrong, well, you know, they're supposed to be dealt with, but Jesus has, has, has dealt with them for you. And so what you, you know, you're, what you should receive for that, Jesus has received for that, just in simple childlike mm. terms. Um, and I was like, wow, this guy would do that for me, even though I didn't really know him and I didn't even acknowledge him particularly. And um, and I remember just saying, I want to know this man. And so I remember praying the prayer with my mum. And, um, and I know that it was significant in my life because I called my grandma up. He wasn't a Christian at the time. In fact, I don't, you know, I don't even know if she ever did give her life to, to God. And, um, and I said, guess what, Grandma, I've become a Christian. And she was like, yes, dear, just like the rest of us, we're all Christians. And I went, <laughs> no, you're not because. And I then proceeded in a very childlike manner to tell her why she wasn't a Christian, which I'm sure went down beautifully at the time. Um, but I think uh, that was obviously just a major, major turning point for me in my life. Um, I remember growing up in church and uh, when we lived in Australia, my, my dad used to uh, get the church ready uh, early in the morning. It was upstairs and we'd go up these creaky wooden stairs and I'd I'd be the one that swept the floor with what felt like the most enormous broom in the world. I'd hold the handle above my head and I'd run up and down the hallway. So I'd had a lot of Christian influence, obviously, but at that point I remember just turning and thinking, yeah, I want to know this Jesus. Sounds amazing. You've not looked back? Um, not particularly. I mean, I've made some stupid choices in my life don't get me wrong I've definitely um still I think when you become a Christian Steve it's an ever ever growing journey and uh the, the amazing thing is isn't it that it's not about how many times we mess up but it's about just coming back and saying sorry and receiving forgiveness and I've messed up quite a few times in my life but I think that kind of fundamental belief in God has always um been there and even though I might have Outworked that maybe not in the best of ways sometimes, but um, yeah. This is the Backstory Podcast with Steve Legg and friends. So here we are with the lovely Lou Fellingham, one of my favourite people. You have, I've got to <laughs> say, Lou, you've got a great set of lungs on you. Mm. You have. Have you always been singing? Tell us about how you became a singer. I know, I know going to Stoneley Bible Week had a huge impact on you and yeah. dreams and destiny and everything. But take us back there, um, singing from an early age, I guess. Yeah, so after I became a Christian, um, we moved back to England and we were part of a little Baptist church and then we went to Evangelical Church. We were kind of, I grew up in that kind of tradition and um, they used to get you to sing at the front of the church. Oh, sorry, come and receive a prize every year for how many times you attended Sunday school. Did you ever do that? Did you ever have those moments? I wasn't a Sunday school guy. I, I, I came ah. to faith much later. Well, not much later, but as a teen, I joined the boys' brigade. Okay. Oh, I was a girls' brigade girl. You know, oh. so I did it all. Except that? I did join the boys' brigade as well because it was much more fun than the girls' brigade. <laughs> I used to, my you friend's rebel. dad was a guy in charge, so I used to go along to that too. You could swing from <laughs> rafters and play cricket and stuff. It was much more fun. Anyway, so I grew up in this kind of um, church where you would get rewarded for the amount of times that you went to Sunday school. Being a very good girl that I was, you know, I often got the Bible rather than the bookmark. Um, but I don't quite know how I feel about that now, obviously. Um, but 
at the time, it was an opportunity for me to sing. So I had a friend and we just started singing two-part harmony when I was about seven. Her dad played the piano and he started teaching us songs and teaching us uh, how to sing in harmony. And I remember at the time, um, when I was about eight years old, seven, eight years old, thinking I love singing and uh, I love Jesus and uh, telling people about Jesus. And so those two things had all, you know, really were birthed in me that this is something that I'd like to do when I'm older. And I think my mum and dad said that when I was a little girl um, in Australia, I used to hum and sing around the house all the time. So it wasn't a surprise to them. They used to kind of record, set record tapes and send them over to my grandparents of me just kind of singing songs in the background. Um, so I think song has always been part of who I am. Um, and then I began to kind of develop this desire and dream to actually do it as a job. So tell us about the Stoney Bible Week. Yeah, so uh, through that process, I used to walk around with demo tapes in my hand. Do you remember a guy called Martin Joseph? Did you ever Very hear well, him? yeah, Martin, yeah, yes. So I remember being at something that he was at, and I gave him my demo tape and and uh, John Pantry and uh, Naya, and there were so many of them that were around. Um, and I, I would, everywhere I went, I would hand people my demo tape. And because um, I wasn't part of a big church or a movement or, you know, I was from a little village, didn't know anybody, didn't have a major prophetic word over my life. I just had a dream to sing. And so um, at that time, I had the confidence to do stuff like that. I don't know if I'd quite go for that now. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I did at the time. I was like, I want to be a singer. I want to be a singer. And um, and through joining various bands and choirs and groups, I I was dating a guy and we ended up at Stony Bible Week and I think I was about 16 and I walked past the hall, you know, the big barn at mm. Stony and I walked past it and saw everyone on stage and I thought, wow, Lord, I wonder what it must be like to sing on that stage. Didn't have any connection in there, didn't have any reason why I would be there. Um, and then three years later, I ended up moving to Brighton, joining the band Fatfish and found myself on that stage, which is quite amazing. It's really, it's quite something when you have this little conversation in your head with God and all of a sudden it turns into reality. I don't know if you've ever had those moments before. Oh, big time. I remember we were talking before we started about Spring Harvest and one of our yeah. favourite events. And I used to go each year and I would steward because I thought I can move chairs. I can say to people, you can't park there. But I didn't think I could do <laughs> you anything. You like the jacket, else. didn't you? Oh, I look great in high vis, and I walk yeah, and talk yeah. as well. Uh, yeah. And I, t I just said to God, I'd love to be on stage here. I'd love to be speaking. Mm -hmm. I'd love to be doing stuff. I like to be influencing people. And um, you know, all these years on, thirty-three years yeah. on the road. So it's wonderful yeah. to, to be there and say, I, I, you know, to dream and and to work towards that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I think that's one of the amazing things about a journey with God as well is that. You know, sometimes we're on our knees and we have these long, big prayer moments and there are definite times for that. And then sometimes you have this short little conversation with God or a little thought even. You're not even particularly addressing him. And uh, and then suddenly he opens these doors up or gives you opportunity. And it amazes me the amount of times he's been kind like that. This is Lieutenant Colombo. And you're listening to Steve Legg's Backstory Podcast. The most fun you can have without a cigar and a trench coat. All right, I think I've bothered you enough today. I'll let you go ahead and listen. Oh, one more thing. Enjoy the show. <laughs> 
Now, Luke, <laughs> we first met at a very rock and roll event. It was the Christian Booksellers Convention in Doncaster. <laughs> Do you remember that? I think it had to be sort of 25 years ago. Would that be about right? You were there with yeah. Fat Fish and Jay John yeah, was speaking. Yeah, yeah it, was, it would have been around that time, definitely. So yeah. tell us about the whole Fat Fish thing, how that happened, how you came together, who was in the band. Yeah, okay. So um, when I was 18, I was part of Youth for Christ. I worked with Youth for Christ for a year in a thing called the vocal band and we'd go around into schools and we'd sing some songs and chat to the kids and do some evangelism and then one of the things that the vocal band had to do was go to Spring Harvest the, the place we've just been talking about yeah. and lead worship in the youth venue um, at, at this point my experience of what worship leading was was very very narrow you know my church was the songs were up on the board you stand up you sing the songs through and you sit down kind of thing that was my experience of what church worship was and it was passionate and it was real and you know I loved it um, but then you end up at a place like Spring Harvest and you're like oh I, I don't know what this is um, so I got thrust to the front very quickly and had to kind of fumble my way through the week um, but I remember being there and thinking there's something more that I'd like to find out about this worship thing I'd like to discover more um, and then through various uh, contacts I, I got a phone call from Dave Fellingham who said, I'm putting together this band. Would you like to come and audition for it? So um, funnily enough, I'd also heard from another friend about it. And I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm actually coming to your house tomorrow. Did you not know? Because I'd arranged with this other friend that we were going to this audition. And he was like, oh, no, I didn't know that. So then I, I arrived in Brighton, um, did an audition with this um, band who were kind of doing lots of funk, acid jazz, kind of mm. style music. And I remember standing in the front room while they were playing me some of their grooves and vibes and just thinking, there is no room here for a, um, a vocal at all. There's so much going on. I remember I had huge sweaty armpits, you know, massive wet patches. I was so nervous. And, uh, and I came back in and I sat down and Dave said to me, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, if you come down here, you're going to be involved in evangelism, going into clubs and pubs and, you know, really sort of like songs. Then you're going to be involved in local church and, and leading worship with me. And those two things were triggers for me because I love, you know, telling people about Jesus. So I was like, yes. And then it was, it was about the worship. And I thought, I've seen this guy lead worship. I know that I could learn lots from him. So it was those two things that really made me think, okay, I moved to Brighton. So at 19, moved to Brighton to join this band, Fatfish, and um, ended up marrying the drummer, which was pretty nice, you know, pretty good. <laughs> he was he's a, he was a hottie then, he's a hottie now. And um, yeah, and I, we were a band then for 20 years. So it's pretty, pretty amazing, really. We loved Fatfish. Fatfish were great, but I had no idea you were in the vocal band. Now, I worked with the vocal yeah. band a few times over the years in various incarnations. I remember one yeah. of the early ones. Um, it was kind of quite American. They had red and black shirts. Do you remember the red and black shirts? Or did you come after that and it got a bit more trendy? Well, uh, I would have been around that time probably because it was 93 and Fred Human was the guy yes, in charge and he was then, American. Yeah. Yeah, so he, and he um, used to be involved in a thing called the Continental Singers, which I'd done uh, before as well, which was like a group of, you, you kind of became this choir and learned this whole set and you'd go and perform that in churches. Um, and it was, it, you know, 
yeah, it, it would have made you laugh, I'm sure. Big hair, big, you know, big makeup, big shoulder pads, all of that sort of thing. Um, and you'd, you'd run up and do all these dances. But, um, yeah, it, it was interesting, actually. I think it, it was, you know, again, it was that niche of wanting to, to preach the gospel and do music. And so uh, I just decided to take a year out there. Again, had no idea what my future would look like. I didn't have a big prophetic word. I just was taking these stepping stones. When God opened the door, you know, I'd, I'd go through it. So I remember raising, doing fundraisers in my local village hall and all sorts of things to try and make sure that I could go on these trips because some of them were a lot of money mm. and my parents didn't have loads of money. So I'd do fundraising things and do all sorts of things to try and uh, afford for us, for me to go and do these things. So yeah, it is amazing the way that God allowed it all to piece together. You're listening to the Backstory Podcast with Steve Legg and friends. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the memories. So I'm here with Lou Fellingham, the brilliant Lou Fellingham. Um, embarrassing moments, Lou. I bet you've had a few. Uh, have, you got, have you got have. at least one you can tell us about? I'm trying to think of them, Steve. You know when it's like they look funny to you, but they're not really funny <laughs> to anybody else. Um, and Nathan and I had one last night and I've completely forgotten it. I'm at that age, my memory goes. Um, but I, I remember a, a, probably last year, I was. it was my first time of leading worship at quite an official event. And uh, this lady had, had kind of come along and she was standing on the front row and all of a sudden she was making very strange gestures at me, you know, with her hand kind of going up and down in front of her zip. It, it, on her trousers kind of doing this <laughs> frantically at me and I looked over and I was thinking what is she doing and then I looked down and discovered that my flies are undone so I immediately had to kind of <laughs> turn around and pretend that I was looking at Nathan and signaling something while I pulled my flies up and made sure that uh, nobody actually <laughs> got flashed which would have been really awkward very awkward indeed That's I'm trying game. to think of some of the other ones Nathan's not texting me back which is annoying Oh. The one time you want someone to be on their phone and, and uh, they're not there. I know. Um, I mean, I basically say all sorts of things that are inappropriate most of the time by accident. So, um, you know, I end up doing silly things and not even realising that I'm doing them. That's probably what the, the biggest thing is in my life. <laughs> Have you ever fallen off stage or...? Um... Uh, I've not fallen off stage. We Once we did, I don't know if you remember, but years ago they used to do events at Orton Towers. Oh yes, um, I do. Do you remember those? Very much so. And we were, and so we did. We were um, doing one of the sets there, and the guitarist decided. You know, he was he was going for it in terms of his performance, and he was giving it everything. And then he um, he fell over the monitor, and he was in the middle of his guitar solo. So he was on the floor on his back, and he basically had to do the whole thing on the floor, <laughs> and eventually get up and make himself back up there. I don't think I've ever fallen off stage. Um, I've really I've completely forgotten what the story is, and I really apologise for that because it's nice to be able to laugh at people, isn't it? Isn't I have nice. recently put a bloopers thing up on my YouTube thing of uh, some of the bloopers that we've had over the last year with the common things that we've done, moments when I thought um, Nate was going to do something or I thought he was going to play something and I've completely messed up the song or I've got the wrong key or I thought Nate was going to stand up. He was getting so excited and I was waiting for it. He didn't, you know, just moments like that. Um, so that's probably a good place to start is just looking at all the things that I do wrong naturally. We will check that out. 
in the latest bumper edition of Sorted magazine. Big name exclusive interviews, Hollywood A-listers, TV adventurer Bear Grylls, inspirational true life stories, adrenaline-fueled sports features, all this plus gadgets, entertainment, motoring, movies and technology, plus probably the greatest team of Christian writers ever assembled. Available now from high street retailers nationwide or visit sortedmag.com. Sorted for men for life. So, Lou Fellingham, I heard you giggling there. We are on to your last memory. Doesn't time fly when yeah, you're having fun? it does. You have it mentioned does. him a few times, Nathan. He's a fine, yeah. f- a fine figure of a man, I have to say. Tell us he about meeting fella. Nathan, falling in love, your wedding day. Oh, goodness. Okay, so I met him when I moved to Brighton to join the band. He was the drummer. I thought he was a bit up to himself, actually, but he was like 16, 17 when he was, uh, when we started Fatfish. So he was a bit of a young whippersnapper. And, um, and he was just basically really confident, which really kind of got on my nerves a little bit. Um, but I soon grew to like him and, uh, we dated for a year and then we split up for a year because he was too young and I was too intense, probably. Um, we split up for a year, still had to carry on the band. I remember just sobbing, walking back and forth from where I lived to here, to the house where we were rehearsing, going, why am I still here, Lord? <laughs> and then I made it through, and then we ended up dating again, getting engaged, got married. Um, and, yeah, I think I'm, I absolutely love um, the fact that we've been able to work together for so many years. And some people say it's really hard to work with your spouse. You don't, you know, you can potentially clash quite a lot. But I think for Nathan and I, because we've always worked together as friends and then as a married couple, that has definitely helped us as we've navigated it through. And in fact, one of my highlights has been in this lockdown bit has just been the fact that because it's just been only Nathan and I that we've been able to do it together, in a sense, that's caused us to grow stronger together again. Mm in this last year to be able to grow our ministry together, to be able to be on the same page, heading in the same direction on every part has also been um, a real joy. So yeah, it's, he's a good, he's a good geezer. Tell us about your wedding day then. Oh, my wedding day. Okay. So I've got four sisters and um, they arrived on the morning of the wedding day. One of the sisters was a little distressed because her boyfriend was in another country. So she was a bit like, Oh, I wish he was here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, another sister ha- had reasonably long hair and on the morning of my wedding decided to chop the whole thing off to a really, really short haircut. Oh, no. So I was getting ready and she was coming in going, I don't know, what do you think? And she was kind of raising her hair and trying to get me to decide whether or not her hair should be chopped off. So I was like, yeah, just go for it, go for it. Anyway, it all, and then I went to put my veil on and realized that there was no hair clip grip in the veil so there's no way of attaching it so that all of that culminated in the fact that we're usually what I call is optimistic with time do you know what that means so you basically feel that you can fit a lot more into Mm. time than you actually can which is why I'm generally late places it's not because I'm trying to be offensive or rude or disrespectful I just have huge amounts of optimism anyway I was optimistic with time and uh, I arrived to the church an hour late Oh, my dad was not happy. People kept coming up to Nathan and saying, do you think, do you think she's still coming? He's oh, like, man. yeah, she's just late. Um, we had 
450 people to the reception because I am not very good at narrowing things down. I don't want anyone to feel left out. I'm a bit of an includer. So, um, so we had everybody to the reception. We had a four, a hundred and, I think it was 134, 134 foot Subway sandwich. So Subway used to do um, subs that were like six foot subs. Yeah. And so we basically uh, did a whole room full of six foot subs all the way around. And my mother-in-law made a ginormous chocolate brownie cake that fed 450 people. And, um, and yeah, and we forgot the corkscrew. So we had one friend while we were downstairs having the photos. I don't know if you've ever been the runner that ends up having to sweat behind the scenes because so many things have been forgotten. Because married couples always forget things, don't they? Well, we forgot the corkscrew. So trying to get the wine undone for 450 people with one corkscrew uh, took a lot of skill and patience. Um, so, yeah, we had a few things like that happen. and um, But it, it was it was a fun day. And I've got loads of fun memories and lots of great photos from it. So. Sounds amazing, Lou. Do you have any tips for yeah. couples struggling living together in lockdown? As you say, for years you have you have worked with Nathan. You obviously live with him. You're together all the time. <laughs> um, any tips for for couples that are struggling being together all the time? Uh, um, yes, maybe. I don't know. I think um, knowing when to leave the room and when to stay is important. <laughs> so there are some times when you have to push through and. Uh, you know, find your way through on things and kind of bring that completion. There are other times you're thinking, I just need a bit of space. And so I would say, go and get some space. So just go for a walk, find your your place to go and get space to breathe, to think. Um, I think, you know, when you've got kids as well, it's really easy, isn't it, to react in the moment. And mm. sometimes, just like we tell our children to try and count 10 before they respond. Yeah. Sometimes we need to do that. Um, so I think just finding finding your place where you can uh, find your breathing space as well as kind of your connection is really important. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I've been thinking a little bit about uh, marriages lately because there's a few friends that have been journeying some different difficult things. And, um, you know, the world tells us that it's about us. It's about me. I've got to meet my needs to make it all okay. But actually, the Bible tells us to prefer other people over ourselves. And I think, you know, when we get married, one of the hardest things sometimes is to believe the best of the, of the other person. Mm. And um, and actually, we can end up thinking the worst of somebody when actually they don't mean what they're saying in that way, blah, blah, blah. We can get a bit sensitive, a bit defensive. We all do it. Um, and I guess I would encourage um Marriage, married people to kind of keep trying to see the best in each other and keep trying to prefer each other. And if you both do that, then that definitely helps. Um, be kind to one another when you can. Um, and say sorry if you need to say sorry, things like that. But I mean, we have, Nathan and I definitely have our moments. Um, and we don't get it all right. We're not completely perfect. Siri's just told me it's all good. That's good. Um, yeah, things like that. I mean, I'm still learning, Steve. He's still with me, which is remarkable sometimes. <laughs> That's brilliant. But, yeah, things like that. Love it. 
You're listening to the Backstory Podcast, where we remember the good times, the things you love, the things you are, the things you never want to lose. Lou Fellingham, you have been a fabulous guest. Thank you so much. We are new into 2021. How was last year for you? It was a tough year, no gigs, no albums, presumably, no touring. Yeah, it was it was different than I expected. So in January, it you know, my month was full. I had the year ahead with lots of things in the diary and we were about to launch a series of women's conferences, which was like a really big deal for us. It was like um felt God kind of lead us to do all this stuff. We prepared for months and our first one was March the thirteenth and uh and we had a whole load of them in the diary ready to go. And uh we did the first one which was a success. It was good. It was fun. Learned a few things, which was excellent. And then, um, and then obviously the week after we went into lockdown mm-hmm. <laughs> and then everything got canceled completely. The diary was completely empty. Nate had to study, uh, for a few weeks and go into his cabin. All right. See you later, love. And, um, and my children were home and I had to homeschool them. So it was, I think as it was for most people, a bit of an abrupt, <laughs> Uh, change of scene as somebody who's itinerant, who loves to, you know, every week has looked different to suddenly be at home, everything looking the same. I'm also a people person and a complete extrovert. So to then not be able to see people, not be able to feed people or host people, you know, I found definite moments of grief, definite moments of just feeling really sad. I couldn't even explain why. Um, and and I think, you know, just processing it all, as, as there was just a huge amount of loss, wasn't there, on lots of levels. Oh, um, like like everybody, really, just trying to manage our way through it, trying to work out how to function, how to be thankful <laughs> in the mix of lots of sorrow. Um, I cried last night because I said goodbye to my dad on Zoom again, and I haven't hugged him for months, and I'm just desperate to hug him, you know, so... Um, I think very similar to most people from that perspective. Um, and then in May, we, we helped a friend out one morning to, they were, they were doing worship every morning online and they said, oh, could you do a Tuesday takeover? And it was the end of May and we thought, oh yeah, we'll do you a favor. I was a bit kind of grumpy about it because it's half term and I like to keep it sacred. And uh, I was like, oh. I suppose we should just do him a favour. We do like Ollie, you know, he's a good guy. We'll just do it and it'll be fine. Anyway, it was one of those mornings where, you know, I don't know if you, if you see people that aren't used to holding a microphone and they kind of blow into it, testing, yes. testing, yes. you know, that sort of thing. It was like that, but on video. So you've got my face glaring really, really close, going, hello, can you hear me? You know, that sort of thing. So we started it off, did it, and it was like, oh, this is actually really fun. We should do it again. Um, and the culmination of us thinking, oh, I think there's something on this. And then God gave us money for a computer and a camera to be able to do it. And, um, and we started doing these things. And then I remember in June being in the sea, we were swimming in the sea and we went, I don't know, we've got, we've got fake plants and all these lights that we were going to be using for this, co- for this uh, women's conference. We've got like a concept and a few ideas. Maybe we should do just like a shortened version, like a coffee morning or something. Yeah, let's do that. Should we do it next week? No, let's do it in three weeks. Give ourselves a bit of time. So we did it in three weeks' time. Started this coffee morning thing. Um, and really, to be honest, Steve, it's, it's been a year where I've been overwhelmed with 
the father's kindness for me. So mm-hmm. it's been challenging. There's been huge amounts of loss. There's lots of sadness. Um, and yet God has deposited these things. It's like he's taken the little bits, the story in the Bible of the, you know, five loaves and two fish and, um, you know, being distributed and feeding many. It's really felt like God has done that for us. It's like we've brought the little that we have and he keeps multiplying it and allowing us to keep feeding people. And so for me, that has been a lifeline because I'm able to do what I feel I'm made to do. And um, and God just keeps, you know, blessing us. He just keeps looking after us. And somebody in January gave um, gave me this little card and it said, please don't worry, I've got you. She said, I feel that this is for you this year. You know, I feel God wants me to give you this. It's just a little card. Um and I put it up in my kitchen, and every time I walk past it, I say, "Oh yeah, it's okay. He's got me." And um, and I I thought it was to do with conferences because it's such a big risk, it's such a big thing that we were jumping into. But it was like, oh no, it's not that. It's you know, COVID and your whole life being wiped clean. Um, and I think uh, for me, what I want to encourage listeners is that that. Uh, everybody has a part to play and sometimes you give and sometimes you receive and sometimes that give can be really small. Like this lady gave me a small card um, with something that wasn't even a verse on it, but it was it was like it had meaning mm-hmm. and uh, it impacted me so greatly for the year it, and it still does. I keep looking at it and taking a deep breath in and going, oh yeah, you've got me, it's okay. And so that person by just, by just responding to a small prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, go on, send that lady a card, has had significant impact on me knowing God's breath, you know, and somebody else has been able to give in a different way and I've been able to give in my way. And so I just want to encourage people listening that, um, you know, you've got a part you can play, you've got a part that you can bring to the table, whether you think it's significant or not, whether you think it's the, the five loaves and two fish or you think you've got the plenty, actually God wants to take it and use it. And so I just want to encourage people really to step into that. Lou, that's been absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Backstory Podcast with Steve Legg and friends. Catch you next time.